Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. During his ministry, Witness Lee emphasized the experience of Christ as life and the practical oneness of the believers. He was unbending in his conviction that God's goal is the body of Christ. Through his messages, he stressed the importance for us to grow in life and to function as Christians so that the body can build itself up. We're happy to bring you recorded portions from his ministry today, along with some of our own thoughts. And we welcome your comments and questions. You can reach us toll-free at 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Now let's join today's program. To study the Psalms, it's helpful to note their arrangement. Many of the Psalms are grouped for us in order to help our understanding. Psalms 49, 50, and 51 form such a group and show us three categories of persons in their experience and enjoyment of God. Those depicted in Psalm 49 actually do not have God as their enjoyment, but rather are those who put their trust in riches, in their wealth. Such ones miss the real experience and enjoyment of God. Psalm 50 shows us ones who call on the Lord according to His covenant. This is to call on the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator between us and God, and surely results in a deep enjoyment. Finally, Psalm 51 shows us a person in the full realization of his sin, repenting, confessing, even begging God's cleansing, forgiveness, and washing. This psalm gives us a real pattern of genuine repentance and will lead us into a richer and deeper experience and enjoyment of God. Ron Kangas has joined us as we come to an interesting group of psalms. Ron, glad to have you today. Good to be here. It is a a noteworthy group of psalms. I appreciate the highlighting of the central points in the opening word. There are those who do not have God as their enjoyment because they trust in riches. Mm -hmm. And this can include religious people that feel they can have everything, but actually they serve mammon rather than God. Then to see the principle of calling on the Lord according to his covenant with Christ as the mediator. And when God enters into a covenant, which becomes a testament through the offering of the sacrifice, the reality of which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God is bound by the covenant to give himself to us for our experience and enjoyment. To call on him according to the covenant is to call on him with the realization that he is the covenanted God and we are his covenanted people and Christ is our mediator to work out and to apply all the contents of the covenant. Then, of course, Psalm 51 is the richest uh, psalm of these three. It presents this picture of David, and it's really a pattern Mm. of genuine repentance and of God's response judicially and inwardly in David and David's recovery of the joy of his salvation and his prayer for a proper spirit. 
and the reawakening of his burden concerning God's house and city. Theologically speaking, these may not be the deepest of psalms, but theology is not the only criterion. There is the practical spiritual experience unveiled here and some governing principles concerning the enjoyment of Christ according to the covenant of God. Yes, I think that's a good point to make at the beginning. This is not a program that's going to have a lot of teaching and doctrine, as you said. Uh, Really, a a very experiential program awaits us as we look at these three psalms. Got a few verses out of each of these three to help us reinforce what we've said now about these three categories. And as we've mentioned now, Psalm 49, a psalm that depicts uh, the person who trusts in their riches, their wealth. Verses 6 and 7, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Verse 17, for when he dies, he will take nothing. His glory will not descend after him. And verse 20, a man in honor, but without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. All right. Let's join Witness Lee, Ron. We have a short section here, and then we'll come back to talk about this psalm. Okay. Two categories of persons. Where are you? Psalm 51, Psalm 50, Psalm 49. You've to learn to trust in God. As long as you trust in your money, you are in Psalm 49. Anything other than Christ, your degree, is a kind of cash. Your education, your this, your that, you have many, many things. Anything you treasure, that is your cash. That is your wealth. And that is something other than Christ. When you love money, you are the most foolish people. If you don't have any money in your pocket, you are so clear. You are so understanding, right? And these... uh, cross is used at the end of the psalm, a man in honor but without understanding you have hundred thousand dollars without understanding <laughs> you are like the beast that perish quite a few times this psalm likened this scatter of people to the beast you tell me whose mind is most clear when you love Jesus Forgetting everything. You're the most clear one. When you are greedy, when you are coveting, you become foolish. So the most clear mind is the one of the one that loves Jesus. Call on his name according to God's covenant. Interesting, Ron, that um, we may say, well, I don't have a lot of money in the bank. I'm not a rich person, but wealth can be measured in a number of ways, can it? It certainly can, and let's propose the following definition. It's any personal treasure that we have that replaces God as our enjoyment. So someone may not have a lot of money, but he may have a five-year loan on a car that he loves, (laughs) and that's his treasure. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to stray from the point that those who have a lot of money tend to lose their sobriety, to easily forsake their proper value, 
and not have a sense of need for God. I mean, the Lord Jesus himself said that it's very hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Easier for a camel to go through the proverbial eye of the needle. So, it may be monetary wealth itself, or paper money, or investments, or whatever. And then eventually, anything that enriches us other than God, then there's no room in us, there's no capacity. Experientially, we have nothing to do with him, he has nothing to do with us. We do not want to be in that kind of situation. These words always just bring a fresh shining when I come to these verses. I know brothers who have a great deal, but yet their living testifies of not uh, trusting in that. I do believe, Ron, when the Lord calls those ones, they'll be able to turn and leave their wealth as if it had never existed. And uh, maybe many who have far, far less will have a much harder time departing from that uh, small fortune. Uh, Paul's word that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money itself. And so some have wealth under God's material blessing. They do not trust in it. They do not uh, flaunt it. They do not indulge themselves because of it. They give more than what I would call in this context a paltry 10% to the Lord for his move. And you would never have the impression that they're wealthy. And so we're not trying to lay guilt upon those who have enjoyed financial success. The question is, where is our trust? Where is our security? Where is our treasure? Again, quoting a simple direct word from the Lord Jesus, where our treasure is, there our heart is. I also know believers that have considerable wealth, but that is not their treasure, Mm -hmm. and their heart is not there. Their heart is 100% for the Lord. That's the point. Right. Not the possession of wealth in and of itself, but the trust in it as a treasure other than God. Well, let's go on to this next psalm, Psalm 50. For this one, we uh, don't have a portion of Witness Lee today, but I do have a short portion out of his printed life study that I'd just like to read to you, Ron. It touched me a lot, and I'd just ask you to pick it up and develop it according to your feeling. Let's look at a couple of the verses, however, in Psalm 50, again, to kind of set the uh, stage. In verse 5, it says, Gather my saints to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And then 14 and 15, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and repay your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. Again, this uh, psalm depicts the person calling on the Lord according to his covenant. Let's go now to this printed life study portion. Very short. Let me read it, Ron. We need to consider this in the light of our experience with the Lord. Many of us have prayed in this way. O God the Father, I am a sinner. The Lord Jesus Christ is my burnt offering, sin offering, and trespass offering. This is a prayer without affection, without tender feeling. This indicates that we can offer certain offerings without being touched in our heart. Suppose, however, that after passing through a time of trouble, you pray, O God the Father, I would like to offer you my thanksgiving. Such a prayer touches your heart, fills you with affection, and causes you and God to to become intimate. We may offer Christ as the other kinds of offerings without being deeply touched, but when we are thankful to God and offer to him a prayer of thanksgiving, 
we may be deeply touched. This is what God wants. We should not contact him without being touched in our heart. Rather, our contact with God needs to be full of affection and tender feeling. I really appreciate this uh, emphasis on affection, on intimacy, on tender feeling, on contacting God while we are touched in our heart. According to the illustrations given, it's possible to pray in a way to get through our situation. Mm. We realize we failed, and so we may pray in, in somewhat of an automatic or routine or ritualistic way. We're not suggesting that God would not hear or answer that kind of prayer, but there's not much feeling there. Uh, recently, I was in a situation uh, sharing something, and according to my inner feeling, there was the sense that we owe God a debt of thanks. And when we thank him, there is such a sense of sweetness, of affection, of tenderness. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. I appreciate so much that you provided Christ as my sin offering and trespass offering. And I don't want to just get out of trouble, so to speak, without pausing to tell you I love you, I appreciate you. I don't take lightly what you've done. I apply you in faith and love with much thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, this is very pleasing to the Father, and it causes the Father in the Son to draw near to us experientially, and it builds up a personal and affectionate and intimate relationship with the Lord. I think we'll see that personal, intimate, and affectionate relationship even brought into a more specific focus, Ron, in this last segment. This is Psalm 51. Of course, the context here is David's great sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband and uh, all that flowed out of that, which we've talked about in earlier life studies. But this is the psalm where he repents for this. And uh, what a pattern we have here. Just a few of these verses in Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassions. Blot out my transgressions. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge my sin with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, and do not take the spirit of your holiness away from me. All right, here's Witness Lee. Psalm 51. Have you noticed how many different words he used in his confession prayer to denote the washing, the cleansing? Okay. Blot out my transgressions. Blot out. Then wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And from my sins, cleanse me. You have brought out, you have washed away, you have cleansed. Then purge my sin with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Blood, wash, clean, and purge. What is this? 
This is the real repentance. This is real confession. This is real asking for forgiveness. Don't say, well, God, I know you are so merciful. Regardless of how many sins I've committed, I just confess to you, right away you forgive me. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. If this is your confession, this means nothing. You have to stay there in the presence of God. Oh, God, I was born in sin. Even I was conceived in sin. Now what? God, you have to blot me out. You have to uh, what? Wash me. You have to cleanse me. You have to purge me. This indicates that you have no trust in yourself. You trust in God. But you know that you are so sinful. Then after forgiveness, then we need to ask God to uh, create in us a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within him. A new heart, steadfast spirit. We need a new heart. We need a steadfast spirit. We need God's presence. If we lose God's presence, that means we lose everything. God's presence actually is the spirit. The spirit is God's presence. So, if you would confess your sin, you would ask forgiveness for your sin, you have the happiness. You have the willing spirit. The willing spirit sustained within you. This is not just a teaching. This could be a practical experience day by day. Ron, it seems to me a couple of aspects here. One is the Lord may lead us into a kind of an extended period where we have this very deep experience. Then there is this day-by-day practical uh, application that he's talking about in a more ongoing part of our Christian walk. Why don't you touch these things? Both, of course, are presented in the Scriptures. In Psalm 51, we see portrayed there a deep and thorough Repentance, not mere regret, but a repentance with a thorough acknowledgement not only of the sin itself, but of the sinful condition that gave rise to the sin. And David acknowledges that that particular sin was not only against certain persons, but against God himself. Chris, this is quite a realization. Mm. And in Luke 15, we have something similar. Father, I have sinned against heaven. Against you, God, have I sinned. When that dawns on us, then our confession cannot be trite. Just saying, Lord, I, you know, I sinned so much, and thank you, you're merciful, and please forgive this, and, and that's it. There's no realization there. But with David, you have a lengthy transaction where his whole being was exercised. He speaks of the sacrifices of a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. He prays, as we pointed out, for the recovery of the joy of his salvation and 
for the Lord to uphold a steadfast spirit within him. Well, God himself, who is the source of repentance, according to Acts, repentance itself is a gift. God will not constantly be moving in us to have this kind of confession day by day, and hopefully we wouldn't be in need of that day by day. But according to First John, for instance, if we wish to live in the divine fellowship, the fellowship of life, then acknowledging the sin within us and confessing the sins of which we are conscious should be a daily matter, to say the least. One may not be offering a heart-rending prayer of repentance and confession. However, I want to make it clear, though, that we're not talking about something trite or light. Sin is grievous. It's destructive. It issues in death. It's just that we're living in a life of fellowship with the Lord and we're conscious in the light of some sin or transgression or trespass. And it's the Father's intention in enlightening us to build up our life of fellowship or to restore it. And so what he wants is that we would agree with him. That Greek word for confess means to speak the same thing, Mm. which means God the Spirit is doing the speaking. You were wrong in your attitude toward your wife. And when we confess, we say, Lord, that's right. I was wrong in my attitude toward my wife. That was sinful. Forgive me. And if necessary, you know, you go to your wife. So perhaps we can call what is in Psalm 51 a critical turning point occasioned by a very serious failure. And serious failure should occasion serious repentance and confession. Mm -hmm. But our whole life, we need to have a contrite spirit, a repentant heart, a sensitive conscience, so that we're very quick to agree with the Spirit's enlightening of our sinful condition and of the sins in our behavior. At that time, the Father is not asking us to try to work up a Psalm 51 experience, but the principle is the same. We need to confess, we need to repent, and we need to have the attitude of forsaking that sin. Lord, I have no intention to persist in this, to practice this. It happened. I have to call it by its right name. And I'm sorry, Lord. And we know that when we do this, the God of the covenant is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When this really touches us, we have a Luke 7 experience. And by a Luke 7 experience, I mean the experience of the sinful woman recorded at the end of that chapter. And the principle there is, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. And we're deeply touched 
and our affection is stirred mm. by the preciousness of the Lord's forgiveness and God's far-reaching mercy, that our only response is to thank him and love him. But those that never have to repent, or at least don't repent, and don't need that much forgiveness, they may be religious, but they're not tenderly affectionate. And you don't have the kind of love that only forgiven sinners know. The love which is perhaps the highest expression of our gratitude and appreciation for the Father's loving and forgiving heart and for the Savior's sacrifice of himself as the sin offering and the trespass offering through which we are redeemed and brought back to God our treasure and our delight. Well, I had hoped this would be a program with a lot of uh, experiential guidance, light, help, and I uh, believe the Lord has been merciful and it answered that uh, desire. Appreciate, as always, your participation and hope you'll come back soon. I will, by the Lord's grace, and we disagree together to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, we'll give you our toll-free number. Hope you'll contact us. We'd love to tell you about the Life Study in its written form and uh, all of the resources we have available. It's one eight 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 Life Study, eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. Stay with us as we continue this Life Study of the Book of Psalms for Ron Kangas and Chris Weil. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.